Alright, so this morning we are talking about prayer. How many of you guys would say you're good at prayer? Okay. Why do some of you not raise your hands when I say that? Why is it that we kind of always feel that we can improve our prayer life? So like a lot of times people will say, you know, I wish I prayed more. I wish I carved out more time. I wish I would get up a little bit earlier. And we always feel like we're failing. Now why is that? Why do we feel like we have this standard, this expectation? I would say for me, I've ne I'm never satisfied with my prayer life. A lot of times because I get so easily distracted. So like I'll set out to pray. The first 13 seconds are amazing. And then my mind starts wandering. I start thinking other things. I start planning my day. But I, I say that I'm praying. But I'm really not. I'm just planning, strategizing. So it doesn't work for me to sit and pray. So I walk and pray. And that kind of works because I'm doing something. But then I start seeing people, start thinking, and I get distracted. And so I oftentimes have really good intentions with my prayer life. I'll set aside some time. But I don't feel like efficient or effective with my time like I've even accomplished much. Now, if you think about it, if prayer is to be just a conversation with God, right? You're just talking to Him. He's putting things on your heart. You're communicating things on your heart to Him. If that's what it is, why do we have like such a weird grid that we put over prayer to see, think about the effectiveness of it or how much we prayed or how many people we prayed for if we got through our list. For example, when I just have a conversation with my wife Sarah, I'm not really thinking at the end of it that was a good conversation, that, wasn't, that was bad, I didn't say everything I wanted to say or I got distracted. We just, Sarah and I would just kind of flow. And when I'm hanging out with some of you guys for coffee, we're just talking and we go on tangents, we ramble, we talk about things important, we talk about things not so important. But then why is it that when we go into our relationship with God, we get all weird and we feel like we need to take a certain posture with prayer, which I'm not saying is bad, but it's not always necessary. Or we think we have to use just the right words to address them. Some things I've heard from people when we talk about prayer, it's real personal. Uh, people don't like to talk about their prayer life. And if we were to get in a big group right now and have all y'all pray, most likely at least half of you would feel uncomfortable with praying in public. So some of you guys don't like to talk about prayer or think about prayer because it's just it's a personal thing between you and God. For some of you, it's just mysterious, right? You're like, I don't really get how it works. Like, can I pray inside because the ceiling's in the way? Or do I have to pray out loud? Or is God hearing me if I just pray in my mind? So we really don't understand how it works. 
And quite honestly, I think the thing that's the biggest hindrance is that prayer is just kind of difficult, right? We feel like we're throwing a lot of words out there. And there's like no verification that it's being heard. It's not like we get a receipt from heaven saying, I heard it, I took note of it, I'm working, trust me. There's just... Like when I'm talking to you guys, I know if I'm boring you, like right now, I, I look at you, I look at your body language, I'm like, okay, you're with me, you're not. With God, you're not seeing anything, you're not feeling anything. Feeling anything? <laughs> and so it's hard but I think that prayer can be powerful it can be exciting and it shouldn't be something that you're burdened by I think that's the way it should be I, should, I don't want you guys to think dang it I gotta get up earlier dang it I should pray more what's dang it in Spanish? caramba <laughs> I have to be careful not to use words that translate to curse words. So, and so, what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of unpack what prayer is. And we're not going to make you pray so you don't have to get all weirded, weirded out and worried. But I want to convince you that prayer is something that should be fun. I don't want you to walk out of these doors thinking, I'm just going to make more time for it and I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to stay up a little later or get up a little earlier. I don't want you to be burdened by it. So if you think about what prayer is, here's a couple ways to think about it. Prayer is an expression of love to our Father. We've talked about this over the last couple months. That we can call God Daddy. We can call Him Papi. Right? So like last night, one of my sons and I, we were having a disagreement. And I'm like, I just want you to talk to God about it. You're obviously mad at me, so just express your frustration towards me to God. Just talk to Him about it. And I said, what would you say? When you're frustrated with somebody, I said, you just tell me and you just ramble. You don't think about your words. You're just kind of emotionally charged and you just tell me what you're thinking. So just do that with God. So I asked him, I'm like, what would you say to God right now? And he said this. It's like pushing play. Dear Daddy in Heaven, thank you for this day. Please help me not to disrespect Mommy and Daddy. Amen. And I was like, I mean, I was like, what was that? Like, I'm like, like, that's what you always pray. Like, are you mad at me? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, tell God that. Are you frustrated, feeling like we're not listening to you or hearing you? Tell God that. So what I said, I said, I'm going to leave you here on my bed. I'm going to leave for two minutes. And I want you just to talk to God. It's got to be longer than those 10 seconds that you just said to God. It's got to be something. Just throw it out there. So I left him for two minutes just to have a conversation with God. I went into the other room where the other two were at. And my other boy said, what, what's he doing in there? I said, he's praying. He's like, well, I don't hear him. I'm like, so I'm giving you this as an example to say, even at, like last night, my kids, they don't get prayer. They kind of know what to pray. 
when I tell them to talk to God, they just say the things that they've said before. They're not really that conversational, relational with God. But God wants us to be. I mean, God says in His Word, pray without ceasing. And we shouldn't be burdened by that command, but we should see that as like the most common sense verse ever. Like, of course, I need you at all times. I need to be talking to you, getting your perspective, feeling your presence, your encouragement, your shepherding. But for whatever reason, this is me, I'm more comfortable reading the Bible than praying. I'm more comfortable serving God than praying. Are any of you like that? Because when I pray, all of a sudden I'm opening myself up to being convicted, of being directed. And when you pray, you're really giving up a lot of control. And so a lot of us avoid it and a lot of us don't want to have anything to do with it. But check this verse out. I don't think you guys have ever seen this verse before. You guys remember this verse? For the last four years, every week, we say this verse together at the end of service. I love it. Let me read it and let me tell you why this verse gets me so excited. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Look at that. Far more abundantly than all we ask. So we ask for this much and God is willing to give us this much. Says all that we ask or even think. So he wants to give us things more than what we ask for and things that we can't even come up with. So if we get to have this type of conversation, relationship with God, let me just be honest, why are we so lame with our prayer life? And why are we so limited? And why do we why are we so confined and boxed in? If God wants to do this through us as we talk to Him. I think that the reason why we don't claim a promise like in this verse is because it puts Him in control, Him in charge, and we don't know what He's going to do. And as we're going to look at this passage today, I think it's because we honestly don't think that God is good and we honestly don't think that He has our best interests in mind. And so we'd rather give Him little requests and expect little answers because we're in control of them versus just opening ourselves up and seeing what God will do and how He'll blow our mind. So let's look at this passage in Matthew. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. So ask, seek, knock. We've heard this before. 
The way this is worded in the original language is ask, keep on asking. Ask, ask, ask. Just don't put it out there once. Ask continually, persistently. It says in James, we have not because we ask not. So some things that you need, that you know God wants to give you, you just haven't even asked. And God wants us to ask Him. And then it builds intensity. It says, not only ask, but seek it. Like, you're so convinced that what you're asking from God is what He wants to give you, that you begin to set yourself up to receive it. You begin pursuing it. So it's not just a request with words. You're actually putting feet to it. Now, this part gets me uncomfortable. Ask, seek, and then it says knock. You know, like those blessed missionaries that visit our house? I'm not going to name names of what group, but they knock. And you know that they saw you pass the curtains and look through the people. They see the shadow. They feel your presence, but you ignore and they just keep knocking. You just knock, knock, knock. God is saying, I want you to persistently, adamantly, earnestly keep requesting, knocking, almost to the point of annoyance. That's the best way that Jesus could explain to us how to pray. Let me put it in an analogy. So say any of you guys football players, American football players, I don't fully understand it. But imagine like this. You're a wide receiver. You have the quarterback. The quarterback is figuring out the play. He's like God, so to speak. He's figuring out what's going to take place. And then you're the wide receiver and you look at the quarterback and you're like, give me the ball. And he's like, no, 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 no. And you're like, no, give me the ball. That's you asking. Then the quarterback's like, all right. So he gets ready to hike the ball. You're out there getting ready to run down the field. They hike the ball. You run down the field. I'm going to come out here. You, you run down the field. That's you seeking because you asked. And you're so confident that it's the right play. You're so confident that he's actually going to throw, your, throw you the ball. That you're going to put yourself out there and risk looking like a fool standing out there for a ball. So you run out there, you're seeking. He hikes the ball. He's looking around. And then you're jumping, you're like, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. That's like knocking. And you're making a complete fool of yourself, adamantly, passionately wanting to receive the ball. Now, God wants us to pray in a way where we ask, 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 where we begin to adjust our life, believing that He's going to give us what we ask for. And then, almost demanding of God, give it to me. Now, you guys might be uncomfortable with this, but I'm going to prove this to you in some other parables. Now, I would say most of you don't pray like this. This is how you pray. Let me, let me tell you the theologically correct way that a lot of you guys pray. You pray, um, dear God, I know you're in control and I want this, but only according to your will, according to your glory, 
you know best, I don't. We throw all these disclaimers on and these caveats. And then, worst of all, we always give God a way out. Like, if you don't do this, you still can do this. And we're like trying to protect God's reputation. And we don't really want to ask for something so specific because we don't want Him to fail. And if He fails, then no one's going to believe in Him. I think the way... I'm actually shocked the way that God teaches us how to pray because He uses this analogy, ask, seek, knock, and then He uses one in Luke 15 as well, or Luke 11. Look at this passage here. Luke 11 says this, And He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? Think about that. He would go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Then it goes on to say, Next. And he will answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So this is a parable that Jesus grabbed at to illustrate what He wants to be true, characteristically true of us in prayer. We're to be in like this desperate situation where we have nowhere else to look and that we will almost annoy God with our requests. This is weird. This is not how I think of prayer. But when Jesus was asked how to pray, He gave these analogies, these parables to teach us. Look at this last one. A few chapters later in Luke 18. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And here's the parable. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For, for a while, the judge refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So let's think about this parable. You have this judge, this unrighteous judge, and it says that he neither feared God nor respected man. So he could care less whoever was before him. He was a law unto himself. He could care less what God might think of him. He was arrogant, prideful, proud. And then before him comes this widow. And a widow in those days was not just somebody who lost their spouse. It was somebody that was totally without. Because it was very uncommon in those days for a woman to ever show up in court. And so there wasn't a brother, a cousin, an uncle, a dad. 
a husband. No one could plead her case. So you have this worst case scenario, right? You have the judge who could care less and is not moved by any compassion. And then you have this widow in this desperate situation and she's coming to him continually, day after day after day. She has no other options, nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn. And it finally says that the judge what? Has compassion? He listens to her, thinks about what he said, what she said. He had a moment of reasonableness. No, it says that she beat him down by her continual coming. Literally, it means to be punched in the face. He was so tired, so bothered by this widow coming. By her persistence, it was bothering him, it was irritating him. He's finally like, fine, I'm just going to give you what I want, what you want. So like, I look at this parable, and a quick takeaway, if we're not careful, is I'm going to go annoy God, and I'm going to pray, and He's going to hear me, and I'm going to scream louder, and I'm going to be on His case until I wear Him down, and then He will give me what I want. That could be the takeaway, do you think? But is God anything like the unrighteous judge? Nothing like. Is God anything like the, pers- the, the friend that's like, nah, it's not the right time, it's midnight, it's kind of an inconvenience for me? Is God anything like that friend or the judge? Nothing like. Look what it says. And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? These are rhetorical questions. Of course, he's going to give justice. Will he delay long over them? And so what he's looking to us is he's wanting to see us not persistent. Because mere persistence is not necessarily going to give us what we want from God. We could just be persistent and just set an alarm every hour to pray, pray, pray for certain things. But the secret is in verse 8. I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? God is wanting to see our desperate faith, not our persistence. When we have desperate faith, when God is the only one that we can go to, then we're going to pray night and day, day and night, continually, persistently, because we got no other options. We don't have plan B and C. He's our only plan. Do you think that that friend would have gone to his buddy's house at midnight if he had other options? He had nowhere else to go. Do you think that, do you think that widow would actually go and plead her case before an unrighteous judge if she had any other options? The issue with our prayer life, I would say, is desperation. We don't really need God. 
Of, of course you guys will all answer it right on a test. Yeah, we need God. God's our everything. No, He's not. He's not. He's plan A of a plans A through Z. So if God doesn't give you what you want, you can still get what you want. If God doesn't come through, you have other plans, other strategies, other people that got your back. What these parables are telling us is that we need to kind of put ourselves in a posture of the widow where we have no one else to look to, we have no other options, and God is our only option. He's our first and our last, and if He doesn't come through, then we fail, then we fall. Let me explain it to you like this. This is what the gospel did to us initially. When we came to Jesus, we come to the end of ourselves. When you get saved, it's not like you have that moment where it's like, I came to my senses, I researched everything, and all of a sudden I put it all together, and you pridefully found God. It's not like that. Most everyone's testimony, when you hear about how they came to Jesus, it has some description or story of brokenness, being humbled, being humiliated, being so aware of your failures and your shortcomings, and having your eyes open for the first time to God's amazing beauty, glory, grace that He wants to give to you. And in that moment, when we cry out to God for salvation, we're desperate. We know there is no one else, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that He is the only one that can rescue us in those moments. And so we start our walk with the Lord there, knowing that He's the only one. We trust Him with salvation. And we have that posture of desperation. But we don't typically live in that rhythm, that posture of desperation. We like to stand on our own two feet. We like to have backup plans. We don't like to depend that much on God. And I would say because of that, that's why a lot of you don't like praying. The very thing that scares you about prayer the most is also the thing that's preventing you from experiencing power in prayer. If you're not willing to put yourself in the situation like the widow, where you are desperate, where you have no one else to look to, if you don't put yourself there, you're not going to experience the power like we were talking about in Ephesians 3, Him doing abundantly more than all we ask or think. Now let me be really honest with you here. The key, at least for me, the reason why I'm not willing to put myself in a place of desperation is because, and this is going to shock you, but I honestly don't think God's good a lot of times.
I was teaching at the Bible college uh, the theology courses and I remember knowing as I was teaching some of the attributes of God how I was wondering if I really believed them and I was wondering when God was going to kind of like test me and put me through the ringer to see if I really believed them And I remember it was 2007 that God questioned the first thing that I thought I believed about Him, but He proved to me that I didn't believe about Him. And it was His goodness that God is good. He took me to this passage, this next verse in Matthew 7. Look at it. It says, Or which one of you, we'll put it on the screen here. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him, asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So like, I, I knew God was good. I knew the verses in the Psalms that talked about his goodness. But this verse was the verse that he pushed into my grill in 2007 and I wrestled with and I disagreed with him. And it seems so simple. In 2007, Sarah and I were praying about where to be used by God. And I remember sitting on the couch with my wife, spinning a globe, you know, and just thinking, God, where is it? You know, closing my eyes, God, where do you want us to go? And I was thinking, South America, Asia, Europe, Africa, spinning right past the Middle East. Just thinking, there's no way in heck I'm going to go over there. It was a few weeks later that God opened up a door for us in northern Iraq. I'm like, no stinking way. No way. It seemed like a perfect opportunity. And I remember frustrated with God. My God, I said I would take my family anywhere. And you open up a door. I'm newly married. We have an infant. Seth was a, not even one, maybe, maybe one at the time. I'm like, you want me to follow you wherever. And you're taking me to like the one place I don't want to go. Like, God, this isn't, this isn't fair. Like, I asked for something, and you gave me something I didn't, you knew I didn't want. I was frustrated. I remember talking to my friend about it, and he told me, he's like, Matt, you don't have an accurate picture of God. I'm like, no, duh. Like, I know, but like... <laughs> I honestly think sometimes that God is he's not out to get me but he's always out to test me I feel that way in other words I'm asking for bread he's giving me a fish and he's like are you still going to be grateful I know you asked for this but I'm going to give you this you still going to be grateful or I ask for bread or I ask for fish and he He gives me a serpent, something to harm me, so that I go through a trial and suffer, and he wants to see if I have joy through it. It's a fear that I have. I was laying in bed last night talking to Sarah, and I said, I feel 
overwhelmed with fear at times because I know God is sovereign I know he calls the shots but and I know that he has my best interests in mind but I don't like his best interests because his best interests are always through the valley of the shadow of death and it's going to be dark and hard and trying so my accurate picture, my picture of God is skewed. And I watch my kids all the time struggle with this. We're just like, just trust us. We know what's best. Just trust us. They can obey. I can get my kids to obey like that. I can get them to obey. But to trust me is so much more difficult. Likewise, up until 2007, my walk with Jesus was just obeying. Tell me to do this, I'll do it. And I'm going to do it better than other people just to show how godly and sacrificial I am. But you put me in a place where I just have to trust and the outcome's uncertain. I remember getting on the plane to Iraq. I remember kissing Seth and uh, Sarah goodbye, just thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again. And wrestling the whole time I was over there thinking, I don't know if God's good. And I think he wants Sarah to go through losing somebody just to refine her faith. These are all the things I'm thinking. And you guys are laughing, but it's like a... It's my pain you're laughing at. Um, I think all of us have a messed up understanding of God. And I don't know if it, I don't know if it comes from a messed up father that you have here on earth. I don't know if it's because of the lame way that you read the Bible and you just read it like this textbook. But do you realize that God is really good and that He really wants to outdo Himself and He wants to impress us with Him. He wants to encourage us like He really does find joy in seeing us excited. It's like, if, I'm given, if my kid wants something, do I find some sort of weird, perverted pleasure in giving them a different toy that's going to be better for them? Or if they're asking for some candy, I give them a piece of celery just to see if they're going to thank me for it? Like, do I do that? Now look at what the, this verse says. If you then, verse 11, who are evil can somehow in your evilness come up with a way to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to him, to those who ask him? So on my best day when I'm really thinking about what holistically is best for Seth and Silas and Blythe and I know what they want and I'm filtering that through and thinking and processing what they want knowing what's best for them don't you think I want to keep a smile on their face want them to keep trusting me walking with me don't you think that that's my intention is to really bring them along to have them enjoy life and experience life with me in this relationship in its fullest like that's that's my goal and it's going to be flawed because I'm evil 
But God, who's not evil, God who is all good, all knowing, <coughs> why is it that we trust Him less than an earthly father? Why is it that we kind of withhold getting desperate in our prayers for God because we kind of want to navigate life by ourselves because we know the outcome? Again, the reason why we don't pray the way we should is because we don't think God really has our best in mind. We're not willing to put ourselves out there. And so this is what I want you guys to do this week. I want you guys to process through. I'm, I call it like your Abba theology, your daddy understanding, your your theology, your picture of God. And I want to know what you're thinking about God, not just here on Sunday mornings. But last night I was talking to Sarah about the fear that I've watched overcome me in the last few weeks. What's my view of God at that moment? Is He wanting to kind of leave me scared, feeling like the walls are closing in? What's His posture with me right then? Is He wanting to rush towards me and comfort me and shepherd me? Or am I feeling like He's just giving me some sort of lesson where I just need to trust, there's no fear in love, and I'm quoting all these verses, but they're doing nothing for me? What is, what is your view of your daddy in heaven when you're weak? Do you realize that he's on the edge of his throne, eager to give you mercy and grace and compassion? Or is he a little bit distant, removed, wanting you to figure it out yourself? And I think this is one of the best tests to see how messed up your view of God is. What is your daddy in heaven doing when you sin? Is he running away from you? Is he kind of disowning you? Saying you're not one of mine right now? You better get it together. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to spank you, put you over my knee. I'm going to wallop you, whoop you. I'm going to bring my rod and staff and just beat you down. Or instead you have a picture of like the prodigal son returning, the father with tears in his eyes, running, doing something very weird and out of place for a respected man to do in that society, running, racing, embracing, restoring, forgiving. Is that how you feel with God? Because I'm a lot more willing to put myself out there in prayer and say, God, you're my everything. I'm all in. Everything's on the table with you. If I knew in my weak moments, my anxious moments, my lonely moments, and my sinful moments, that he was eager to comfort me, hold me, restore me, speak truth into me. 
that he was rejoicing over me. So what I hope that we can do this week is not set out from here and say, I'm going to pray more, dang it. Day and night, night and day, I'm going to pray more. That's not the right application. I'm going to ask, 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 seek, seek, knock, knock. That's not the right application. I'm going to annoy God to death. I'm going to bother him. I'm going to beat him down with my request. That's not the right application. The right application is found in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through. Are you going to put yourself in a place of brokenness? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you going to put yourself in a place where you're like, God, just as when I got saved and I had no other options, no other answers, no other saviors to turn to, come to the end of yourself with your kids God I don't know what to pray I don't know what to do you have to come through and change their hearts there's no book there's no strategy there's no wisdom that I have you need to change my husband my spouse these issues that we're having there's nothing I can do to change it God you're the only one that can and I believe so much that you're going to change this person that I'm already thanking you for changing him because it's going to happen. I'm convinced of it. And there's nobody else I can look to and I can't expect him, I can't expect my influence to change him. I think only when we put ourselves in that posture and then adjust our view of God and expect that He is hearing us and be confident that He's going to answer us, that's when we're going to see power. That's when we're going to see Him blow our mind. But the posture that I typically have with prayer is that I'm, I'm kind of surprised when he answers, honestly. We've talked about this before. I'm like, no stinking way. I prayed and God answered. That blows my mind. I can't believe it. I asked for something and he actually did it. It's almost like we explain it like it's a rarity. It's an anomaly to our relationship with God. But shouldn't we be shocked when God is delaying in answering? Or not answering the way... Shouldn't we expectantly wait and watch? Shouldn't that be the rhythm of our life that as we're walking, He's answering prayers, He's powerfully intervening, changing our course, changing our heart, influencing people around us? I think that's the way He wants to walk with us as His sons and daughters. 